We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into your Tuesday show. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We have a good OBR film breakdown for you today with myself and Andrew Spade serving as an opener. We discuss, really spend our time on the offense, which is the pressing piece of the puzzle right now for the Browns to solve, even though the defense got plenty of time in chalk talk as well to talk about what happened in that game. And we'll cover it in the all 22 breakdown here. We spend the opener on the offense. Then you get your comprehensive breakdown, both sides of the football data, player grades, all the above. Thanks for stopping by guys. Even when these review podcasts aren't fun, we still do it. We still try to learn the good, the bad and the ugly with your Cleveland Browns. And it's going to all be covered here on the latest OBR film breakdown. Welcome in, everybody, to today's show. It's me. It's Andrew Spade. We're going to talk through something in our opener here, Browns-related, kind of try to hone it in on one thing. And, you know, at this point, Andrew, I know you have yet to consume the All-22 from the offense, but I have. And I think we have to spend our time there specifically hitting on, you know, some of the things that we said in the postgame show. I I said in the postgame show around the decision, the execution, the direction, I think, are all of the key words for this offense. And, you know, to me, man, and I think there's a couple different ways we can go with this, but I, but I really want to dial it into, I hate at times what they're doing offensively. They looked slow in this game. They looked, I would even say Andrew disinterested at times in what they were doing. And I think what it comes back to, to me is I'm questioning a little bit, man, just a little bit of of the belief of the players and what they're being tasked to do. Now, I have I understand that they're facing some really challenging run defenses and they they the, between Tennessee and Baltimore and Cincinnati and some of these. I get that. What what I'm curious about is two things come to mind. I think there's there's a lack of an ability to take the easy money the defense is giving you, and I would say Andrew that they make gaining 5 yards seem as hard as possible at times. And in this game, we have heard from multiple people um, covering the game that have confirmed that there was no game plan change between Deshaun and and, uh, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now, with uh, it seems like I think you would agree with me, Andrew, listening to Kevin's quotes, it sounded like Kevin maybe was a little surprised Deshaun wasn't playing. Uh, I think he'd been medically cleared, 
He confirmed he'd been medically cleared and was surprised he wasn't going. But the problem with that, Andrew, is that you cannot – it's not your job to bank on that. You have to prepare for, as a head coach, OC, play caller, all of the outcomes. All of the outcomes. Do we have a plan in place for four being on the field? And do we have a plan in place for four not being on the field? I cannot – Nobody pressed him on this question. Was there an alteration in game plan? Him specifically. He did not He did not have to answer that question, so we're left to have some conjecture here. And from what I feel, from what I watched and what I've seen this year, they did, they did not change much of who they are. And I think that the, the thing for me, Andrew, is if you're going to say we're not going to change the game plan from four, from Deshaun to Dorian, that is a big miscalculation because there's no way you could watch like this. What we saw five turnover worthy throws from Thompson Robinson, what we saw in that game, there's no way that guy's just been hidden at practice and been a lights out player throughout the early quarters. Uh, uh, you know, the quarter season mark of practices, you, you had to know there were limitations here yet. They operated in a way that showed we don't believe there are limitations here. And that to me is jarring. It's really jarring. And I know there's a lot of people online saying, oh, well, you know, excusing Kevin for this. And I <laughs> I think you could agree, me and you, you, me more than you. I've been a Kevin apologist for a lot of things because I, I, I think I've seen what he's trying to do. This is the first time I've just been bluntly confused with what he's trying to do. The Baker Mayfield Steelers game all those years ago was a 21. I thought he was trying to figure out if Baker Mayfield was the man, give him a chance. Uh, you know, like I said, can you lead us there? Blah, blah, blah. This is one he needed to operate with, with a very cautious, almost overly cautious nature. And I don't, I, I'm just confused about what they were doing, man. Yeah. I think two things that I want to touch on from what you just said. One, this entire question of, of, you know, expecting Watson to be ready. You know, Stefanski said also in his press availability that, Watson didn't really throw the ball Wednesday through Friday. So I, I just don't know as a head coach how you go into the game preparation with a quarterback who's unable to throw the ball in practice, expecting that quarterback to play. That, you know, I understand, you know, there's other positions maybe where you can get away with, you know, a uh, pass rusher's got a, a broken hand, he can club it up and he can still be 80% of himself and you'd rather have him out there at 80% than the next guy. But when it's a when it's an injury to the throwing shoulder, I don't see the, to me, I don't see the logic of saying he's, he's going to be okay and kind of banking on that. And so, you know, I think that's, that's one big piece. And then the other big piece is if you're in that position where you are banking so hard on the, the veteran quarterback being ready, and then all of a sudden he's not, I think at that point you have to give serious consideration to starting PJ Walker, because I know that PJ Walker has only been here a month. And I know that Dorian Thompson Robinson showed some promise in the preseason, but PJ Walker has played in an NFL game before. He has won an NFL game before. Dorian Thompson Robinson was a fifth round pick in April. And I, I just think if if the if you are saying, if what Kevin Stefanski is saying, if you read between the lines in his press conference that he thought Watson was going to be able to go, that Watson was medically cleared and then made the decision not to go, my mind then says, well, if if we're running a veteran quarterback sit back there and see it offense, then probably you should play the vet, the quarterback that has played in the NFL before, because that was an option to them, Jake, that I, I know that again, we, we, we have thought of Dorian Thompson Robinson as the backup. He's on the roster, but they elevated PJ Walker on Saturday. He was, he was eligible to start this game. That is a decision they could have made. 
He's been in camp for a month. Josh Dobbs started for the Arizona Cardinals with two weeks of prep, and he started playing with a, an offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing, who was in Cleveland last year. So there is precedent to get a guy ready on short notice. And if if you think you can't dumb down the offense enough, you've got another option in the building. So to me, this is the worst of both worlds. This is putting the wrong quarterback into the wrong system. So it's not just one thing they got wrong, it's two. I, I want to also be careful on my side too of like, there have been people who said, it doesn't matter if they had Dobbs in this game, they were still losing. And I'm trying to figure out like, like why, why do you think that? Like Dorian was awful he was awful like five turnover worthy plays and three interceptions tells you a very clear story he could not see it he could not process it so if you have that situation and you're going into this game and you don't know you think he can do that based against what we saw that's just a total miscalculation like it's a total um lack of understanding of where your guy is at that point. And again, like the turnover, the first turnover directly turns into points. They're giving up multiple plays. There's one long drive baked in there. And and Lamar did some hero ball stuff, but to act like you couldn't have done things to score more points with another quarterback, I think that is I can't get there. I, I really can't get there. And like you want the defense to play better and they they maybe would have if they I'm not saying they're tired, but if the if they felt encouraged that they're off eventually a defense knows. They know, like, hey, our offense is clearly not going to score in this game. And that does have a clear impact uh, on you later in the game. So I guess I'm I'm like of the belief that saying DTR isn't the it was the only option. And if you brought in somebody else, if you kept Dobbs or you or you played Walker or something, it wouldn't have gone any different. And I just think that that's just a massive yeah. leap that I yeah. can't get to. And to me, like. I'm I'm watching the game and people are like, oh, 2.4 yards per carry. And they had some efficient run stuff mm-hmm. early in the game. And I don't even, I could even excuse saying, you know, running 30 times and being bad at it because you're saying we really don't want to put this kid in a spot to turn the ball over. I mean, the Ravens dropped several opportunities to create other turnovers in that game. So like, I just think that, they put a lot on it was a complete miscalculation of game plan a complete miscalculation of where a young player is in their development and ability to handle things you're putting in front of them and i'm just sort of jarred that in the conversation for that game they wouldn't have said to each other the 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 oc and and quarter you know head coach play caller we can't call certain yeah. things we can't yeah. do it and it felt like there was none of that. And it felt like there was no prep to put him in only situations that could alleviate that. So, you know, I've got bigger issues with the offense, which we will go into kind of Andrew uh, throughout this week, maybe into the bye week. There's a lot of time for those, those general conversations, but I, I am, you know, not often hypercritical of Kevin, but I don't understand much of the thought process around the game plan where like, again, if you turn the tape on and you watch it, there are multiple chances for the young quarterback to find some underneath answers. There's a time that there's a chip release that happens, you know, where, where you're getting an arm on an edge and then sliding to the flat where the Ravens have vacated in coverage because the Ravens didn't blitz a ton. They didn't need to. They knew they didn't need to. They could impact the young man with the front four enough 
and drop a lot of bodies into coverage and create less decisive passing lanes for him. So like the thing that caught my eye is all of these options that he's missing. And then later in the game, they finally got him to get his eyes to this chip release check down where you could get some yardage instead of taking losses. And it's like, I have to have some self-reflection here because I know as recently as the Pittsburgh game, Andrew, I'm like, Hey man, there are guys open. They're not finding them. And I'm like, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say that without getting to a really hard question, which is if you have these open players, that's great. You, you know, if you have seven or eight plays a game with guys who are open, who can make plays that again, great. Eventually you have to ask the hard question, which is, can you get the execution part of it out of your quarterbacks? Because, you know, the, the simple thing was to blame Kevin for, you know, Baker and some of these guys shortcomings, get him a better quarterback. Well, Deshaun is a better quarterback. And at times, large portions of this year, we're still seeing it. So this is, again, I'm not calling for anyone's firing here. All I'm saying is like, at what point do we start to say, if you can't get your quarterback's eyes to the right spot and you can't get these balls completed because either something's happening up front, there's a play action or run action concept that's taking too long to develop it ultimately has to go back to your head coach play caller because it's like, it's like, um, you know, I'm a process over results guy. I, I really do th- try to do as much of that with sports as I can. I think that, that what we're in danger of here is just like, you know, we're, we're trying to avoid thinking about the results and look at the process. And while a part of the process, Andrew is saying, this guy's open, we're missing a part of that process where they're getting the quarterback's eyes in, in delivery to that location, because you can run the best offense in the world. I say this all the time about coaches. I said it last night on Brad's show. It's not about what you can draw up. It's not about if you can get a guy open. It's can you get your quarterback to deliver it to him consistently enough to win? And that question I think is really fair. Now, not that I thought there were a ton of guys running open down the field against the Ravens, but there were check down opportunities because they were vacating so hard and congesting lanes for this young quarterback. And it's like, if we can't get this guy to get his eyes there and drop these footballs off and pick up steady yards, like, what are we like until the late third, fourth quarter? What are we doing? You, you, this is, it's just, it's just to the point we have to start asking those questions about Kevin's structure. There's other structure mm-hmm. stuff we have to get to, but like the Kevin's rigidity of his style, that question I think is extremely fair to be asking right now because it's all these guys are open. He schemed them up. Well, they're not completing them. So who, whose fault eventually is that? Yeah, I think that it, it, there are some process questions that the, that the first four weeks uh, fairly raise. Um, it's stuff that we've talked about in, in terms of the Nick Chubb injury, how that impacts their uh, offensive look going forward. Uh, I think there's some other questions. You know, I mean, as you kind of alluded to, there's I think there's some pretty serious conversations to be had about what what's going on with the offensive line right now. I, I would I would bow tie it all by saying this. I, I think the the you know there's there's a lot of conversation going around in Cleveland today about is this a good or a bad time for a bye week? I think it's a great time for a bye week because I think this team found themselves in two situations already through four weeks where they left a lot on the table in terms of their performance in games. Uh, I think we we both feel that they should have won the Pittsburgh game, and I don't think even if they lose that game yesterday, I don't think that it's you know a, a, an outcome like that shouldn't be on the table for a team with this much talent on the field. So. Then the conversation becomes, what do you change? Because neither of us, Jake, are sitting here, uh, you know, the second day of October talking about firing the head coach. Neither of us are doing that. We, we know 
the amount of talent on this team. We know the expectations for this team. We know where they want to get to. So it's their job to get there. And so the question and what we are going to try and do, I think you and I together and, and at, at the OBR and out at, at large is to talk about how do they get there? What changes need to happen? Because I think we've seen enough through four weeks to say, this is a team that can beat up on a bad team. And I think that's what we saw last week against Tennessee. Uh, they can take advantage of a team that they they match up against well, but this is also a team right now that can get beat up by a good team. And so we need to see that change and we need to see more consistency from the offense and an approach that better maximizes the ability of the players on the field to to get wins because you know there's not an there's not a magic bullet. You know, this this version of the Browns roster is pretty much set in stone. So the change, if there's going to be a change, has to come from the coaching side. So the question is how they get there. And I think it'll be something really interesting to watch over the coming, you know, two weeks. Uh, not, I mean, there's not much we'll be watching, but it'll be something very interesting to see how different this looks against San Francisco. Because I think as much as, as, much as you just said about the shortcomings yesterday and kind of this season in general, scheme-wise, I think you would agree there's a path forward for how they can fix some of these issues. Oh, there certainly is. And and there's lessons that they have to take from this situation, like wad it up, put it in the trash and move on. It's an embarrassing thing to give away a game. Even Zagura today on Cleveland Browns Daily said that they were shocked that they didn't have uh, Watson in this game and that maybe next time that, that they would have a proper game plan for DTR. That to me is is so jarring. It's jarring. I know we've covered it, but like it's it's just amazing to think that you wouldn't have a, a plan A and plan B in this scenario. So again. Um, you won't love to hear this, but you do have to wad that up and sort of throw it away. And maybe, you know, th- that's a small part of a bigger picture down the line, but for now it's not going to define the season. So what I would say going forward, you know, we're talking about run game, Andrew. And I think Nick was, you know, I, I kind of equated, this is going to sound stupid, but you remember Madden used to have the quarterback sure, vision. Absolutely. Remember that was a real mm-hmm. feature. Some people hated it. I thought it was fun. Uh, tricky for a game controller, but fun. But Nick has the ability to do things in the run game with a level of vision, the broad vision that not many running backs can't. The Browns are running a lot of these lateral run concepts still, both under center and in the gun, where I'm watching it. And even the Elijah Moore negative 20-yard run, there was a chance for him to cut up. Those are hard to read for players who are inexperienced doing them and just generally not gifted with the anticipatory stuff of run game. Nick Again, Nick, we've said it, I'll say it again, he hit a lot of the deficiencies or the overly challenging parts of this run game he was able to handle. This is why I continue to preach inside zone because they ran it late in the game and it was actually kind of quite all right, is that it's a very limited scope of cut for a running back. He's cutting off of one technique and it's a downhill inside. If you have a good guard center guard, which we presume to think that the Browns do, and a, a gigantic right tackle, You think you could run inside zone and simplify the run game, the read, and then like, hey, Drew Petson, guess what he's having his quarterback do? Read that backside edge on any run concept all the time. You're watching watching Josh Dobbs, who I don't consider Josh Dobbs to be a superior athlete to DTR or Deshaun, leak out the backside and gain some yards on easy, you know, edge reads and, and go. Like zone read and power read and different things. Like it's not... It's amazing to me that they, I don't want to, you, you're talking, you did well here. I don't want to go backward. Going forward, if they can't implement 
some of these things off of inside zone being the bread and butter. They have no run game identifier right, right now. They should be spending every waking moment. Here's inside zone on, uh, circled on a whiteboard. Here are six different things we can do off of that. We can run split zone with David kicking out the backside edge. We can run split zone read where we have David loop around that backside edge and we read it. We can have a leak play action concept where we have him slide to the flat off of that. We have an RPO with the stick in the slot. We have a ton of different answers to pick up easy money off of inside zone as a baseline for who we are and again it's it's not a hard thing to do so people are like can you implement that is it too hard it's not you're watching high schools this is the first thing high schools put in if they're a shotgun team these are talented guard center guard players who can do this and they've shown it on tape already they can do it so moving forward if they're not able to see this if they can't see this based on who's in the backfield the the guys up front and trying to find a baseline for who they can be and operate off of that. You know, you always want teams to have a, a sort of foundation, Andrew, if they can't do that, then again, I, you start to say, when does Jake turn on this and start to think there's a different answer. If we're looking at the end of the year, we're getting toward yeah. that point and we're still seeing the same things they're doing here. I, I will be ready to talk about the idea of somebody else either calling the yeah. offense permanently, which was never something right. you want to have a guy replace a DC and then an OC the next year. Um, but I, I mean, that's the yeah. blueprint for me because what they're doing and making five yards challenging as hell to find in the run game is not a consistent type of thing that helps, right? They can pop one every now and again, because maybe, maybe Ford sees it the right way or hunt does, but they need to simplify the, the game for their running backs right. too. And, and getting north-south from the gun is a is a very clear path to that. And you're not giving up all the other elements, but you're you're getting teams to be afraid of inside zone, very conscious of it. Then, hey, guess how much easier it is, Andrew, to pin that edge and pull around the side? It gets yeah. simpler. So I just uh, I just think it has to be who they are, man. And if they don't want to do that, then I'm like, what what are you doing? Because off of yeah. that is all the fun Deshaun Watson stuff and the gunplay action that I think is sweeping right. the NFL – to get some opportunities to chuck it downfield. So that, that's where I'm at. And I, I really am planting my flag on that spot. And if they come off of it, if they don't come off of where they are to get to there, I'm, I'm ready. I'll be ready to, to talk about a change. The value that, that this conversation provides in my mind is not, you know, this AB, the coach is great or they should fire the coach. The, the value here is in the, is in the gray area, right? Because the gray area is there's a lot that we like about Kevin Stefanski. The way that he manages the game, the way that he keeps an even keel, I think is a very beneficial quality in a head coach. The way, you know, his fourth down decision-making is really solid. I think, I think you know, a lot of his uh, staff stuff has been, you know, there's things that I think we would like to see him do better, but I think there's also admirable sides to that in terms of the loyalty, both to players and to staff that have, you know, endeared. Uh, him and the Browns organization to people. I think he treats people well, and I don't think that you can take that for granted in the NFL. Yeah. So I, my point is, yeah. there's a lot of good stuff that we see. And the question is, if this stuff is as clear as it is to to you and I, you know, uh, is it also that clear to them? And if it if it is, but they're not changing, then that, that really becomes a, a big question. So, you know, what I'm proposing... Jake, and I mean this half sincerely, 
is that after the after the bye week, we'll go to a full burnsometer after every game where it'll be like an applause meter where we'll have a green, yellow, orange, and red. And you can just kind of give us on the burnsometer where 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 things are at on a week to week basis. And and hopefully there's gonna be some ups and downs, right? Because it's an NFL team and that's just how this stuff works. But hopefully over time that that uh, arrow is more in the green and yellow section so that we can feel we can feel pretty good about where things are headed. You want to see improvement, I guess is my point. And I think again, this was a as this is an ass kicking on both sides of the ball, which means it's an opportunity to improve. The defense can improve the way that they defend certain run concepts because they didn't seem to know how to do that yesterday. The offense can improve a lot of things that Jake just laid out really well. So They've got two weeks to do it. They've got a really stern test, but then they've also got some winnable games. This team is going to be in playoff contention. There's too much talent and the schedule's too easy for them to just go away. So the question is, how do they take that, you know, eight to 10 win window that they're sitting in squarely right now and move that needle a little bit into the 11 to 13, well, 13 maybe is out of reach at this point, but 11 to 12 win range where they can still get because this team based on the schedule can get hot. They But they need to figure out how they want to get there, like you said, in terms of their identity. I think it's fair. We'll do a Burnsometer. We'll try to to uh, maybe we'll work on the name. We're, we're workshop. Yeah, we will accept but, submissions for um, the name. That was off the cuff here. Yeah, you know. For so sure. and I, you know, I I probably <laughs> should get in on it too. So it should just be, and you know, maybe the Jake and Andrews uh, weekly. Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out again. Yeah, yeah we'll figure it out. We'll Hit us up on socials with your ideas because we need a snappy name just as much as we need somebody to make us an actual physical arrow that we can adjust. <laughs> well, the thing I've, I think we have to do is uh, lay out I, again. I'm going to try to do that for you in this period of time is lay out exactly what I'm expecting, and what I think would work. Now, I am a guy behind the computer. I could be stupid, but I really don't know how he could look at the NFL, look at his personnel Look at the NFL and not be doing these things. I, I I would I don't even I'm willing to have someone um come on the show and tell me I'm wrong here. I, I'm very willing, but I but I don't know how you can look at this in any other direction based on what Watson has been best at in his career, based on the personnel you have in the backfield and simplifying things for those guys, having a strong guard center guard, right tackle. Even Jed is I think Jed's been fine in 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 inside zone stuff. Like, I just think it's sitting there for them. And I, <laughs> I don't know how you can be missing this because you, your guys are proving to you this lateral stuff run game wise under and in gun is not the benefit for you long term uh, or, or just a path to run game efficiency and the play action off of it. Um, it it's it's non-existent and the RPO stuff is non-existent. And that's been again, you, you go back to what Watson was best at and th- those were the things he was hitting. So how can you not figure that out to make things create it in a way that is beneficial for the the guy that you're paying $50 million a year to and is supposed to be driving the bus. So we are going to do our best to track that stuff. Um, you know, you're going to get a little bit more on the comprehensive breakdown. It's not going to be all too long because it's not fun to talk about. There's going to, you're going to get your data. We'll talk through it, but it's not, it's not a comfortable one, so we'll push through that. And then I think there's more to do with the quarterly analysis spot here, and that's what we're going to try to do over the next uh, 10 days of the bye week. You know, We'll start to look ahead at San Francisco maybe like Thursday, Friday of the following week, but I really think there are some interesting conversations to have about the opportunity they have coming out of the bye, what they need to change coming out of the bye, and just how damn important it is to get it right because 
as we said at the beginning of the year when we laid out the path to what is going to be good about the year and what could be bad about the year, we're teetering on it. I mean, we're teetering on it. They're two and two. Nothing's written. There's every opportunity to fix it, get it right. But we're teetering on that spot of if they come out and they're they're three and six or something, that it starts to get really gnarly. And we don't we don't want to see that. But I again, like Andrew said, they could beat any team, but they can also get boxed up by any team too. So they have to they have to yeah. get it right. So We'll have those important conversations. Andrew, thanks for the opener, man. We always appreciate your time, brother. Always a pleasure, Jake. Okay, guys, we'll be right back. We're going to get a little word from our sponsor, and then we'll jump into the data and player grades and all that stuff that comes with the comprehensive breakdown. So we'll return. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive. 
Very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, and we're back. Comprehensive breakdown time now. We'll start with the offense. So give you the raw data. The Browns ran 0-1 personnel, so that's one tight end, four wide receivers. Um, They ran it one time. They ran 11 personnel 64 times. That is the single highest usage of three wide receivers in Kevin Stefanski's tenure in Cleveland. Point blank period. 12 personnel three times, 13 personnel three times. We talked about this with the Ravens. They live in nickel now. They had 67 snaps in nickel. They had four snaps in base. The Browns pretty much refused to put the Ravens in base, which ironically is the personnel grouping that gave up the highest EPA per pass for the Ravens this year. So I found that to be pretty interesting. The motion in this one, they used 26 times out of 71 snaps. And now there's penalties baked in there, but... That's the total snap number. That's 36.9%. That's 20. I don't have it for the week, but that's they're sitting at 41.8%. I did look at the week. Some teams are running 70, 80. The Dolphins are running at 90% of the time. The teams that are the best in the NFL, there are some variable teams, but the best teams in the NFL use motion a ton, the offenses. The Browns are 22nd in motion, motion usage at 41.8%. In this game, they were in the shotgun 81.5%. All right. So that was their most in a single game this season. The shotgun percentage for them is 66.3 on the year, which is 22nd in the NFL. Uh, In this game, like I said, 81.5%. They had 3.4 yards per attempt, which was the worst team out of the gun this week. So. Here's some interesting other things I found. Well, let's talk schemes, and then I'm going to talk about other things sort of surrounding where they're at right now. Inside zone, they ran four times, three of which came late in the game meaningless, but they looked good. I'll say that. Outside zone, continuing to have the highest volume here in Stefanski's background, ran it 12 times. They ran power five times, four of which came from the gun. That's backside guard for the play side inside backer. They ran counter just one time with a Y tight end in the counter. Then they ran pin-pull three times, so that's your lateral run game. And really, power counter, some of those can turn into lateral runs because your back doesn't see the hole. If you watch Chalk Talk on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. So that's your run game information. As far as coverages go, Brown saw cover zero and cover one 11 times in this one, and they are 31st in the NFL in EPA per dropback against man. That tells the story about how they're struggling to convert, create, get separation against man coverage with what they're doing right now against cover three, which the Ravens ran 22 times. The Browns are 28th in EPA per dropback. So that's not good enough because they're seeing a lot of cover cover three cover four is their most successful coverage. They played against 24 snaps in the Ravens in this one. The Browns are 12th in the NFL and EPA and cover four situations. They did not see any cover two, but they did see cover six and cover six remains a thorn in their side. They have the worst EPA. Now, the Browns are hovering at the worst EPA. I mean, they have the literal, according to True Media, they have the worst EPA in the NFL on a, on a play-by-play basis right now. 
They were 32nd in the NFL against cover six. So problem for the Browns offense lies in a couple different statistics. They are not creating big plays, those 20-plus yard plays, right? They have um, only created seven of those. The only team with fewer than seven are the Bengals, who have four right now. That's it in the entire league. But the Browns are ninth in the NFL in percentage of balls thrown with 20-plus air yards. So they are throwing the football downfield at a very high rate, ninth most in the NFL, and they have the the second-fewest big plays as a result of that, which is, which is, again, the efficiency of those is really, really jarring. You talk about the offensive line, which we'll, we'll wrap on here in just a second. They were 10th in the NFL right now in pressure percentage and 6th in the NFL in sack percentage. So the offensive line isn't getting it done in the pass game either. The EPA stuff is alarming. Now, this game with the backup quarterback sways some things, but at the quarter mark, it has been a very, very big letdown. From a player grades perspective, we can go through that now. On offense, your highest snap count, guys. Um, It looks like Donovan again, Peoples-Jones, 62 snaps, Elijah Moore, 57, and Amari Cooper, 56, and Joku plays 48. Nick Harris stepping in for Ethan Postage plays 46, and then Jerome Ford is your leaning running back snap count player with 43. Kareem Hunt had 15. Pierre Strong only had 9. David Bell played 8 snaps, 14 from Cedric Tillman, 12 from Harrison Bryant, and a decrease for him. So those are your... Those are your players who played the most. Now, looking at the passing grade, it was a 38.2 for Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Offensively, 33.5 pass grade. He ran, you know, he was fine running. He had a 79.1 run grade. But the fumble stuff with that forward pass, the penalty, he had five turnover-worthy plays. That's the most I can remember seeing in a quarterback for the Browns in a single game. Over 10% of his throws had a turnover-worthy label. 8.8 average distance of target, which is not very deep. He had two balls knocked down, two balls thrown away. He did face 19 pressures in this one as well. So all of that is not the type of information that you want to see. Getting a bit more granular with him, when he was kept clean, he was 15 of 22 for 107 yards. When he was under pressure, that's when things got dicey. The pass grade was above a 60. Everything else is ugly. Under pressure, 4 of 14 for 14 yards in all three of the interceptions. When he was not blitzed, he was 16 of 29 for only 97 yards, so they didn't even need to blitz to get those things done. When he was blitzed, 3 of 7, 24 yards in an interception. So that tells a story about how much the Ravens brought pressure. They only blitzed him eight times. No play action. He was 4 of 5 for 13 yards with play action, but no play action, 15 of 31, 108, three interceptions. Eight dropbacks off play action. You would expect maybe that would be higher for a young quarterback starting. Only one screen pass negative four yards. The deep passing 0 for 4 on anything above 20 yards. Two of eight medium range 10 to 19. A 38.4 pass grade. The only real productive area for him was the short passing game where he was 13 of 15 for 93 yards. So, I mean, again, fifth round rookie, fourth game in the NFL starting. It went about as you'd expect, but boy, did they treat him like he wasn't a fifth-round rookie. That That is sort of jarring to me how much trust he had. I've talked about it probably a bit too much at this point. So um, let's talk receiving grades, your highest receiving grades. 
were uh, Cedric Tillman and his snaps, which were uh, three targets, one catch, five yards. And Joku, I thought, was the best receiver on the field when given a chance. It's amazing you can play a game with Amari Cooper having one catch for 16 yards. Elijah Moore had two for 20. All of these guys sat in the 50s, so kind of a net neutral. Jerome Ford caught five of six targets for 19. Right, The guys who played in the slot the most, 19 for Njoku, 23 for Elijah Moore, 13 for Donovan. Amari did not find the slot much, only five times, but he was outside 35 times, which is the highest on that one. David was in line 16 times in the slot, 19 times, so a pretty even split there. The contested catch stuff, David had a contested catch, Jerome Ford, Elijah Moore went one of two. The drops were registered, uh, we didn't have a drop in this one, so no registered drops. Uh, and Joku created three first downs. Then it was a bunch of guys with one Tillman, Ford, and Amari Cooper. So that's jarring to only have six first downs created at all in the passing game. The rushing game, DTR gets the strongest grade. Pierre Strong, who only got five attempts, 49 yards, including that 40 yard run, he gets the second highest grade. I mean, again, you, you break off 40 yards and you did a nice job breaking a tackle in that effort. Maybe he sees an uptick. I don't know. Was not very impressed with Jerome Ford, who gets a 66.7. He had 15 yards after contact, a long of 10 yards. He was fine. I, I didn't. I thought, I thought when they blocked it up, he was he was fine. But the, between Hunt and Ford, when you run them lateral, they do not see that put the foot down, cut and get up field stuff that you need them to see. So Kareem Hunt takes five carries. He goes for 12 yards. Ford nine for 26. Just really a dead rushing attack right now. And. If you watch the film, which again, Chalk Talk's available on YouTube, you can see why. Miscommunications up front, running backs not seeing the hole they need to see. It's all layered in there. Pass blocking in this one, your highest grade's Wyatt Teller. He gave up a sack and a pressure. I didn't think the pass blocking was very good in this one, but who, you know, I'm an idiot, so what do I know? Jedrick Wills at 52.3. He gives up six pressures. Was uh, was rough again. Inside stuff, I, I'm just so perplexed how he consistently gives up inside pressure. It's jarring. Joel Batonio wasn't great in the pass protection game, and this one gave up three pressures, all of which came in true pass settings. The thing that will tick you off about Jed is true pass settings are the hardest to block up because it's predictable and all of that. He gave up half of his pressures on non-true pass sets. It's just He's a player that's just getting worse week in and week out. Dewan Jones gets a 61.8. He gave up three pressures. Really struggled with high side pressure from Clowney in this one, which was surprising for him. Usually handles that so well. Clowney's a unique creature with the length that he has, right? The, the body type, but yeah, just just interesting. Not Dewan's best game. Nick Harris gets a 77.6 and 28 pass blocking reps, 23 true pass sets. He did not get charted with the pressure. I thought Posich deserved a pressure. I'm not sure why I'm not seeing it. Quarterback could have slid, sure, but he lost his man, got lazy with the hands. I did not think Ethan Posich played a very good game in this one personally. On the run blocking side... It was rough. The highest grades postage, which maybe that's fine. He only blocked on eight snaps. If you look at the guys who played the most, kind of kind of hovering in the 50s and 60s, Jed gets a really good gap grade, even though I noticed a couple reps where he didn't handle gap down and stay on his man the way I'd like him to. So he gets the highest gap grade in this one. As far as zone blocking grades, Dewan Jones gets the best grade. You know, when your guys, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, are getting those grades, you know, your, your dominators on the inside – that's just if you don't if you don't get that production, it's never going to be quite good enough in the run game. Postage graded out relatively well, like I said. Harris did not grade out quite as well, and I think I agree with that. Again, Nick is fighting uphill 
with the size stuff. So, uh, listen, we'll do a quarterly offense check-in where I gather all the data, gather all my thoughts. It's coming in the next week. We'll cover it then. Uh, there's quite a bit to talk about. Let's just put it that way. Quite quite a bit to talk about with the offense that we will try to try to flush out. Defense, now let's switch over there. Ravens were heavy gun usage, 80%, uh, which we expect. And they really hurt the Browns with jet motion right in front of the quarterback, making the Browns move around. And um, the, 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 the reason... It caught them. You have to bump gaps. You have to move. And again, if you're interested, well, Jake, what do you mean by that? You need to go watch Chalk Talk if you want to if you want to understand that because it's it's all right there. Um, when they motioned and moved somebody right before the snap, boy, it really caused the Browns to be less downhill and more uh, kind of moving laterally and open up run lanes. So Monken and the Ravens' offense nailed that. Fifty six percent motion number, which is among. Um, among some of the highest this week, top 10 motion percentage usage. Again, not at all surprising to me. The Browns um, played 44 snaps of nickel, 10 snaps of base, and then uh, and I thought their base stuff was not good in this one, and then six snaps of dime on third down, all of which got off the field. I like their dime package on third down. Uh, the Ravens ran 27 snaps of 11 personnel, 12 personnel, two tight ends. They ran nine times. They ran... 20 personnel, which is a back, and Patrick Ricard is 12 times. Uh, Ricard in a tight end, so you're talking 21 personnel 11 times. They're they're diverse there because they get Ricard involved in a lot of this. Uh, for the game, Browns ran cover zero three times, which is our first time doing that, and then cover one 29 times. Um, they had actually the best cover. Their cover one stuff was really good. They had the best EPA in the NFL when using cover zero and cover one. Those are your man coverages. They were the best in the NFL EPA in week four when they were using it. It's when they got in cover three, which they ran 25 times, they were the worst in the NFL. That's a jarring difference. So basically man versus zone in this one, they were the worst in the NFL in week four using cover three. 9.6 yards per play when went out in, in zone coverage in cover three. That's jarring to have that much success in man. And that's a high number of man reps. Like, I don't have the exact number of, of uh, exactly. I can find it while I'm here on the pod. I could probably pull it up in just a minute. But but that 29 is a really solid usage of man in terms of just the sheer number. So let's look at just week four. Um, if we're going to look at coverage stats, right? So we're going to say um, cover schemes would go to week. And again, I'm kind of doing this on the fly here. I would imagine they had, yeah, the Browns had the second highest usage of man in week four, trailing only Dallas. So Dallas ran man 49.1% of the time. The Browns ran at 47.7. So of all the plays on the field, that's the second highest percentage. Philadelphia was third with 37.8. So that tells you they, they played a lot. So, you know, you got to play zone sometimes. And when they played it, it was, it was really rough. The Browns were 19th in EPA for the week when someone was in motion uh, on a run play, and then 11th in EPA with no motion on a run play. So that tells you how much the motion was really screwing with them and how they have to fix that because the Bengals are a very low-volume motion team. Pittsburgh, low-volume motion team. And Tennessee, we know that as well. So they faced the first time they faced a high-volume motion team which some of the best offenses in the NFL are using, and they did not respond to it very well, like at all. So... That's something they're going to have to get better at over the bye week because I'm telling you who's going to come and run a bunch of motion. That's San Francisco 49ers. And you have the Rams looming. You have 
Steichen with an RPO, Indianapolis Colts looming. They got some challenges coming, guys, I'm telling you. Uh, defense grades, overall defense grades in this one. Maurice Hurst leads with an 89. He has two hurries on the quarterback, three overall tackles, a knockdown pass. It continues to be a nice player. Rodney McLeod, 72, you know, 79.1 run defense. I thought he was fine, 19 snaps. Greg Newsom, Juan Thornhill, Miles Garrett at the top. Miles, 29.4 run defense grade, I thought was justified. Even though he had five pressures and a sack and two hurries, like I thought it was justified giving him that run defense grade. He is upfield way too often, man. Like he's got to condense. There was so much space at times. He was not disciplined in run defense. Dalvin Tomlinson, your seventh highest graded player, thought he was pretty good in this one. At the bottom, Alex Wright, who lost contain, he, he just did not play a sound football game, uh, especially in run defense, which I thought that grade was appropriate. Okoronkwo gets a poor run defense grade. Again, I thought appropriate. Jordan Elliott, poor run defense grade, did not handle double teams well, kind of a step in the wrong direction for him. Other players that stood out, I thought Sione Taki Taki and Anthony Walker, as good as they've been early in the season, they were exposed. More Taki Taki and run defense fits where he was supposed to be. Neither of them very good in coverage. Walk gave up a touchdown, that final touchdown, because he didn't he didn't bump on mesh against cover three Mabel. Again, very well co- you know, covered for you um, in, in the chalk talk if you want to see it at the very end of the show. And then Grant Delpa didn't play well either. Right? He um again his tackle grade was bad, his run defense grade was bad, and I, I thought he just he wasn't the physical dominator at the line of scrimmage that we've seen. He missed two tackles. Um JOK missed two tackles. 11 collective missed tackles in this game among the top 10 in the NFL. I think top eight in missed tackles this week. A step, seriously, in performance in the wrong direction. Run defense grades, Mahurst, McLeod at the top. Uh, Walker had four stop tackles, a 69.5. JOK, 66.3. Two stop tackles for him, but two missed tackles for for JOK, too. We highlight one of those on Q Counter Bash where he's got to get the guy down, charging in from the slot, and he just missed it. Um, at the bottom of that spectrum, Miles, Okoronkwo, Alex Wright, you cannot have three defensive ends at the bottom of your run defense against Baltimore, who challenges you across the front five, laterally and north and south, as good as anybody because of the quarterback run threat. So that is not what you want to see. And obviously, Zadarius is down below a 50 as well in this one. So really discouraging stuff. Grant Delpit has to be better. Just not a good game from him. He, you know, A lot of these guys have been so so good to start the year. Miles and Zadarius really good in pass rush. Five pressures for Miles, four pressures for Zadarius. Maurice Hurst gets that 70.2 with two pressures on his end. Jordan Elliott gets a 67.3. He had a sack in this one, so he was stronger in the pass than the run. And everybody struggled in the run. They got to do some reflecting on this one because that's not who they've been. Uh, Wright is at the bottom. Shelby Harris, Okoronkwo are your three bottom three bottom guys there. Even though Oko had a pressure, Alex Wright had a pressure. Um, that's what you get. That's where they're at. They didn't get a ton of true pass sets in this one because the Ravens didn't have to true pass set very often, right? So uh, coverage grades, Martin Emerson targeted twice, gives up one catch for, let's see here, I want to make sure I have the yardage right. He gives up one catch for 43 yards, which is that scramble drill cross field throw that I don't really hold against him because you got him, you know, especially – uh, Alex Wright had him hemmed in and they let him escape to the right. And it's all the way across the field in cover three. Tough to get mad about that one. He gets a 68.3. Thornhill, Greg Newsom are your guys at the top. Even though I didn't think Newsom tackled that well. He gave up four or five for 51 yards. Eh, Newsom was okay, but I thought 
Andrews got the best of him a couple times. The bottom grades in this one go to Anthony Walker, Sione Takitaki, and JOK, who just did not who did not cover well enough. JOK gives up 5 of 5 for 35 yards, including a big chunk play on that rail route, which is a huge gain to Melvin Ingram for 23 yards. Walker's accredited with that touchdown allowed. Gave up the 18-yard Mark Andrews touchdown. That's fitting. And Takitaki just out of place, chasing, undisciplined, not a good linebacker game. Denzel Ward gets your lowest DB grade. Don't really know why. I thought Denzel was relatively fine in this one, but that's okay. All right, whatever. Special teams, highest grade, Diabate gets a 78.2 because he had a tackle. Anthony Walker had a tackle. Pierre Strong, your highest special teams use guys, Mike Ford, Matthew Adams, DeAnthony Bell, Tony Fields, Cam Mitchell, all above 20. Diabate at 16. A couple missed tackles, one from Ford, one from Tony Fields. JOK had a missed tackle in specials. I thought the special teams was fine. Uh, they didn't return many kicks um, for, for anything of relevance. It was all fair caught. Punts, DPJ had three returns for 24 yards, so he was better in that regard. Uh, field goals in this one, the one of one from Hopkins. Not much else to report on that. Punting, a 46.6 yard per average for Bajorquez, who was fine at a 40.8 net. Again, that's fine. He had two downed inside the 20, so I thought he had a decent game. Kickoffs. They gave up two kick returns, one of which went for uh, past the 25-yard line, which I did not love. So two kicks returned, 44 total yards. wasn't the end of the world. Special teams were fine. It wasn't a net negative. Even though I thought Baltimore punted a little bit better there, their punt number was 47.7 per attempt and 44.3 with a long of 59, which is what you want. Um, Horquist had a long of 67. I, again, they were fine. I'm not, I'm not. I thought it was a net neutral. So listen, that's a lot of stuff. Um, pretty obvious reasons for this loss quarterback play, but there's some schematic things that if you're really curious about, you should check chalk talk because the answers are baked in there. Um, when looking at the tape, especially on defense, some of those metrics stand out. And, um, again, I'm not overly worried about the defense going forward. There's some stuff I think that they were alerted to probably, um, going to help them a little bit with some things. I mean, you want to win this game, obviously, uh, you don't want to say a loss teaches you a bunch of lessons, but there are things that they're going to learn from this, which I think they can certainly be applying to how they operate in some of these situations moving forward. So we'll hope that they can learn some things and get better, right? So uh, offense, though, is where our focus is going to be. It's a concern. Uh, it, it's just not where I thought it would be, and I'm disappointed with it. Even when you get Watson, uh, we'll see what happens coming out of it. But, uh, you know, some people will tell you, don't panic, and I'm not – here to incite panic. I'm just telling you my genuine feeling about the offense, the structural issues and performance issues within this dynamic, because I think there are structural issues. And then I think there are players not playing to the level they should be playing. And I'll try to continue to illuminate who those guys are. It will have a lot of quarterly check-in stuff here at the bye week and make the best of it. So thanks for stopping by. We'll have another pod tomorrow. We'll continue to bring you banter on this game. We'll probably have one more podcast centered around this game with Andrew Spade tomorrow, where we, collectively put our thoughts to bed on this one before we move on and start really looking at bigger picture quarter check-in mark stuff um and then you know late next week we'll get into san francisco it's a good time to check in have conversations around this and get some opinions from some people so we'll have some different folks on too but uh listen stopping by is uh greatly appreciated after this one and uh checking in listening to all of this uh, it means a lot to me because there's a lot of stuff i'm pulling here information wise and maybe you like it maybe you don't but i think a, a good chunk of you guys are pretty committed to this and 
Um, for that, I'm forever thankful. So rate and review the pod if you can. It's always greatly appreciated. And join the OBR, a buck your first month. Thanks, guys. Have a great Tuesday, and go Browns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.